Father in heaven, it is with great excitement that we come this evening uh, to a new epistle, to a new study. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. Father, I thank you that he had a burning passion for this church at Colossae, a church that he may have never even seen. But he was so burdened for them that he sat there in prison and wrote them a letter of concern. And I thank you for this man. I thank you for his legacy. I thank you for his testimony. I thank you for the words that are written in this tiny epistle. And Father, I pray earnestly that the ladies that will listen um, tonight, will listen on the website or however they'll get this material, Lord, I pray that each of them, their hearts would be stirred to a more dedicated walk with you, Lord. I pray that you will bless in our time this evening. I pray that you will give me clarity. I pray that you will keep me from speaking any error. And, Lord, that um, hearts would be ready to receive uh, this message, even though it's uh, just the beginning. Bless the group time. Use it for your glory, Father, I pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> over 43 years ago, I met a man that 42 years ago became my husband. And uh, he was kind of an unusual man. In fact, I met him at Moody Bible Institute, and he was known as the Moody Monk. And believe me, that's kind of what he was, a monk. And uh, because all he did was study. That, that was what he was known for, was sitting in his room and studying. And I remember we started dating. We met the first day of school, and we began to date two weeks later. And we were having a conversation, and he asked me, he said, Susan, he said, um, do you have any scripture memorized? <clears throat> and I said, of course I do. I'm a Baptist minister's daughter. I said, uh, I have the Romans Road memorized, and I have John 3.16 memorized. And he said, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. He said, I'm talking about a book of the Bible. Have you ever memorized a book of the Bible? And I thought, no wonder this guy's called the Moody Monk. And at that time, he had most of the New Testament memorized, only I didn't know that. And I said, no, I don't have a book of the Bible memorized. And so he began to challenge me. And he challenged me to memorize the epistle to the Colossians. He said, it's really simple, just four chapters. It flows real well. And uh, so he convinced me it'd be a good thing to do. And so because I was hoping he would ask me to marry him, I memorized the epistle to the Colossians. And guess what? It worked. Because uh, he did ask me to marry him almost four months later. Now, ladies, that was 40, over 42 years ago. I was 18 years of age when I memorized the epistle to the Colossians. And so the epistle to the Colossians has special memories for me. Not only is it the first book of the Bible that I ever memorized, but I've had it in my heart and my mind now for 43 years. And uh, it's also the tool that God used in my life uh, to whet my appetite, to get me uh, hungry for the word of God and to memorize his precious word. Colossians. It's a wonderful epistle, four chapters. They are little, but they are very powerful and they are very rich. And ladies, Colossians is an epistle that is relative for the church today. It wasn't just written to a group of people uh, living at Colossae that needed this letter. It's relevant for the church of the 21st century. And you might say, well, Susan, why is it relevant for today? Did you know the same heresy 
that the Gnostics were teaching the church at Colossae is the very same heresy that has infiltrated our churches today. In fact, we were talking tonight, several of us that were here early, and one of the small group leaders says, you know, I think we all have Gnostic thinking. And I said, yes, we do. It's in the church, it's in our thinking, and it's in our lives. And, you know, as I travel around and teach women and I in these various churches, um, Debbie has gone with me many times or pretty much all the time, and it's, it's grieved both of us to see how false teaching, how Gnostic, Gnosticism has crept into the church of Jesus Christ. And so I want to challenge you because we would do well to equip ourselves with the truth of what Paul is saying so that we can face adversity, so that we can discern false teaching, so that we can be equipped with the truth of the word of God to not only arm ourselves, help our children and help our grandchildren. And ladies, it's time for the Church of Jesus Christ in America to grow up and to get away from this crazy teaching. And it's time for you and I to grow up and get away from Gnostic-type thinking. Now, I know several of you here tonight have never been in one of our studies. And so I just want to tell you the normal thing is what we do. We go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. I try to give illustration, application for women, uh, gear it towards that way. And we are going to do that tonight. We are going to cover the first two verses tonight. But before we do that, before we study any book of the Bible, I have to give you a little bit of background. Why it was written, who wrote it, what's the theme. And I know that this is a time that some of you are going to, you know, hopefully not, but get on your cell phone and start texting your best friend or something. But um, this is a time that some people tune out. And I want to encourage you, don't tune out. You need to tune in. In fact, you need to fine-tune in so that you can understand this terrible heresy that had taken over the church. And so I want to give just a little bit of a background information, and then we will get into the first two verses. When I study a book of the Bible, I like to ask questions. Who, what, when, where, how, and why? It's kind of what they call inductive Bible study. And one of the first questions that I like to ask is, who wrote the book? Who wrote this book that I'm getting ready to study? And, you know, you don't have to go very far. In fact, you just go to the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And so we know that Paul wrote this book. It was delivered by a man named Tychicus, and we'll see that when we get to the end of the book. Tychicus was there with Paul in Rome. Paul wrote this letter. He gave it to Tychicus. Tychicus delivered it to Colossae. And by the way, Tychicus is also the same man that delivered the epistle to the Ephesians. And so uh, he was a great little errand boy. The second question we want to answer and ask, and the other reason we know Paul wrote it is at the end, he said, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. And so right at the end, he speaks of himself also. The second question we want to ask is when? When did he write this letter? Well, he wrote it between 60 to 62 A.D., and where he was was very important. That's another question. Where was he when he wrote this letter? Well, Paul was in prison. If you know anything about the prison epistles, the epistle to the Colossians is one of the four epistles that are called prison epistles. And the reason they're called prison epistles is it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. Paul was in prison, right? So it's Colossae or Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and I had to look at my notes, Philippians. Philippians, those are the four 
prison epistles. In fact, we know that Paul was in prison in chapter 124. Uh, he talks about his sufferings, that he's suffering there because uh, for the sake of Christ. We also know at the end he gives a prayer request. He says, please remember me in my bonds, my imprisonment, my chains. Uh, I am in prison, and so he asks them to pray for him. Um, Paul also wrote Philemon about the same time that he wrote the epistle to the Colossians there in prison. Now, more than likely, there's a good chance that Paul had actually never been to the church at Colossae. You might say, well, Susan, how do you know that? Well, we don't know for sure, but it's possible. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For I wish you knew what great conflict I'm agonizing for you and for those that are in Laodicea and for as many as have who have never seen my face in the flesh. And so some think, well, Paul never been there. He talks about people that have never seen his face in the flesh. They've never seen him. But to be fair, it could be that Paul's just saying, I want to know what great conflict I have for you, for those at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, meaning that there were some now that were in the church at Colossae that weren't there at one time who hadn't seen him yet. And I I was thinking about this today as I was going over my notes. Uh, Debbie and I have gone to churches, and then we go back to the same church, and sometimes we'll go to a church, and I'll say, it's a church I've already been to, and I'll say, I don't remember ever meeting you. And they'll say, you haven't. I've never seen you. Uh, This is my first time to come. And so it could mean that, that these people that he's talking to had just never seen him. So we don't know for sure, but there is a good possibility that Paul actually had never been to the church at Colossae. Now, if you did your homework, you notice that Colossae, Laodicea, and Heropolis, and he mentions these three cities when he, when in throughout the book, they're all located pretty close to each other. And the reason that he addresses all three of these cities is because of the fact that they were geographically close to one another. The heresy of Gnosticism was not just infiltrating Colossae, but it is infiltrating these other two cities as well. You know, I was thinking about that in relation to where we live. We live here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which they call the Bible Belt. I don't know why they call it the Bible Belt. I think it's the heresy capital of the world. And we have a lot of word of faith people here, a lot of prosperity teaching going on here. And, you know, if we're not careful, ladies, that will infiltrate our thinking and infiltrate our churches. And so Laodicea, Heropolis, Colossae, they were all geographically close together, and so he addresses all three of these cities. Now, Colossae got its name from a large statue. Uh, it's called Colossus, and um, it, the, the region itself was very rich in mineral deposits, had beautiful pine trees. In fact, uh, you'll be pleased to know this, that uh, for us living in Oklahoma, which we all live in Oklahoma, I think, but do you know Oklahoma now has more earthquakes than California? And the city of Colossae, guess what, was known to have horrible earthquakes. In fact, right after Paul wrote this epistle to the Colossians, guess what? There was an earthquake, a huge earthquake. 
And it not only destroyed the city of Colossae, but Heropolis and Laodicea. The cities were rebuilt, and then in the 12th century, they were destroyed again. And guess what? If you get on an airplane right now and travel to Colossae, it's not there. All you're going to see is a bunch of ruins. And so um, that's the way it is at this day today. Now, Colossae was typically a city that was known as a pagan city. The people who lived there were basically Gentile, so it was mainly uh, Gentile people who were known as pagans. There was a group, a small group of Jews who lived there, but basically uh, the city of Colossae was mainly Gentile. So we've answered the questions, who wrote Colossians, when it was written, where it was written, but we have not answered the question, why? Why did Paul, sitting there in prison, feel compelled to write a letter to a church that perhaps he'd never visited? Why would he do that? Isn't that a little odd? Why would he do that? Well, if you look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1, Paul says this, You've learned of Ephesus, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ, He has declared unto us, meaning him and Timothy, your love in the spirit. Epaphras was evidently the pastor at the church at Colossae. He brings word to the apostle Paul, not only about the church and how good it's doing, but also we're going to see in future lessons, he's bringing word of the church and the dangerous heresy that was creeping into this church. Now, ladies, Colossae, was 1,000 miles from Rome where Paul was in prison. And remember, there's no email in those days. He couldn't send Paul an email. He couldn't send him a tweet. Uh, He couldn't even, they didn't have telegrams in those days. They didn't have cell phones in those days. And guess what? He couldn't even hop on Southwest Airlines that gives free peanuts and fly from Colossae to Rome. Wasn't going to happen. Do you know what Epaphras did, this burdened pastor for his church? He walked. Traveled by foot, 1,000 miles. Now, you do the math. Debbie and I walked one time 22 miles, took us all day. The average traveler in the biblical world would walk 20 miles a day. No Nike tennis shoes either, okay? So you do the math. It took 50 days, if he didn't stop, 50 days for Pastor Epaphras to walk from Colossae to Rome to deliver this news to Paul. Paul, our church is in trouble. Please help us. (laughs) And so Paul sits down and writes a letter. You might say, well, Susan, what kind of heresy was going on in the church that would cause a man to walk a thousand miles to tell Paul in prison what was going on? Well, the main heresy that was going on was called Gnosticism. Now, some of you are sitting here tonight and you're saying, what a ism? In fact, one lady's already asked me, what is that? Some of you may know a lot about Gnosticism. Some of you may know a little bit, and some of you may know absolutely nothing about Gnosticism. And I'm going to give you, just believe me, you could, there are books written about this. Um, I am not going to, I'm not going to spend an enormous amount of time on it, but I'm going to hopefully give you enough information about what it is so that you can understand the book better, you can understand the danger our churches are in today, and maybe the danger that you're in by thinking the way Gnostics think. And by the way, for those of you that have been in our Bible studies, 
This is also the same heresy that John confronted in 1 John when we studied the, that uh, letter. Now, the word Gnosticism is just really very simple. It's from a Greek word gnosis. It means knowledge. That's all it means. And the first Gnostic, according to church history, do you know who it was? Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. You know what he did? He claimed that he was somebody great. And he had this power that could reach to God. And ladies, that's where Gnosticism started. Because you know who the Gnostics are? They set themselves up above everybody else. They think they're better than everybody else. I'm in the know. I have revelations from God. I have visions from God. I have this hotline to heaven that you don't have. And quite frankly, you don't measure up to me. And that's what Gnostics thought. They were in the know. And so they looked down on everybody else who wasn't in this special elite group. In fact, that's why Paul will clarify, we'll see in a future lesson, that knowledge comes from God alone. Not from some human, but from God alone. Now, we need to understand, ladies, the Greeks loved knowledge. Gnostics loved knowledge. And so to them, the gospel message was too simplistic. Jesus wasn't enough. So they had to add Christ plus something else. To them, it wasn't with the master and nothing else, which is the title of our study. But it was with the master and something else. And so they were in the know, and they had to come up with some pretty strange ideas. Now, listen very carefully. They believed that anything that was created was evil. For example, my body's evil, this shirt's evil, this microphone is evil, this pulpit is evil. Anything that was created was evil. The only thing that wasn't is spirit. So then they had to go, okay, wait a minute. If everything that is created is evil, then how could a God who is holy, how could he create the world? It's evil. How could that be? That can't happen. So you know what they did? They said that God, who was holy and can't touch evil, he created another God, which created another God and another one. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of gods until there's this little God that's so far removed from that one that this God down here, he could touch evil. And you know what? That's the one that created the world, not this holy God but that one. Ladies, that's why Paul will correct this. He says, no, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn among creation. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. Paul's going to say, no, not some little God that created the world. God created the world, the holy God. Now, ladies, once you start doing that, once you start having that type of thinking, it will lead you into all types of heretical thinking. In fact, in their minds, Jesus, if he really was the son of God, could not have possibly taken on a human body because what? Body's evil. So Jesus couldn't have taken on a human body. So Jesus Christ to them being evil, being human was evil because he was material. And that's why Paul will confront that. He says, no, Jesus Christ reconciled us. What? Through the body of his flesh, through death, he poured out his blood for us. They denied Jesus Christ was part of the Godhead. Therefore, Jesus died in appearance only, not in reality. That's why Paul will confront this and say, nope, he's the, he's the Godhead bodily. 
They ignored the significance of the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Christ. They believed, listen carefully, they believed it was knowledge, not faith, that was necessary for salvation. Not faith, but knowledge. And ladies, this led them into denying the sufficiency of Christ. That's why Paul will say in chapter 2, verse 10, we are complete in him. Ladies, once you start denying the sufficiency of Christ, once you start denying the sufficiency of his word, which is what Gnostics do, which is what Gnostic thinking is, which is what's going on in our churches today, once you start denying the sufficiency of this book right here, once you start denying the sufficiency of Christ, it leads into all kinds of heresies. And so we're going to see some of the things they were caught up in. Legalism, mysticism, angel worship, rigid asceticism. They were involved in all kinds of stuff, astrology. And Paul's going to confront this in chapter 2. And so this fleshed out in their lives with ridiculous things. Many of them would abstain from marriage because they thought marriage was evil. But some said, no, we've got to preserve the race. So let's go ahead and get married, but we'll adopt children. And I mean, their, their thinking was weird. Some of them uh, had strict dietary rules. They would only eat bread and vegetables. That sounds like a yummy diet to you. And, uh, they would, they would, some of them worship the sun. Some of them would not anoint their bodies with oil, which was necessary in that day because the climate was so hot, but they wouldn't even do that. And so the, the heresy of Gnosticism led them into all kinds of ridiculous other, uh, sinful heresies. In fact, some of them said that, um, because the body, was evil that they were not responsible for the acts that they committed in their bodies. And so they could commit sexual immorality. They could lie. They could cheat. They could steal. They could do anything they wanted. And because the body was evil, you know, it wasn't responsible, then I can do whatever I want with my body. And that's why Paul will say in chapter 3, no, you can't (laughs) put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Don't lie to each other. Paul's going to say, no, you must do those things. That It does matter what you do in your bodies. And ladies, that same type of thinking is going on today in the evangelical church. You know, the evangelical church today has rewritten Romans 6.1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, God forbid. You know what antinomianism says? Yeah, let's do Shall we continue in sin that grace may be Yeah, let's do. Because guess what? We're not responsible for what we do with our body. Doesn't matter. Ladies, it's in our church. We need to remind ourselves, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord. Many of them were also involved in Judaism. They believed circumcision was necessary for salvation. Uh, many of them, as I mentioned, only would eat vegetables and no meat. Um, some of them worship the sun. They would address their prayers to the sun. I mean, it just, I could go on. Like I said, there's books written about Gnosticism. Ladies, do you see now why? And I just gave you a smidge. I mean, I could spend whatever remaining time I have talking to you about this, but I'm not going to. Do you see now why Epaphras made the journey from Colossae to Rome to inform Paul? These are not minor issues. These are very serious issues which, if a child of God clung to, could lead their soul to hell. These are serious. And I'm sure, um, as I, I know some of you have done some other research, and I'm glad, and I'm hoping that you'll be able to talk more about these in your group. But, you know, as I was thinking about this, 
I wish we had some pastors like Epaphras today that were that burdened for what is going on in the church. They were that grieved for the heresy that's going on in our churches today and the fact that we've left the sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency of his word. Ladies, we do have the master. We don't need anything else. He's enough. He is enough. Well, the last question we want to answer real quickly is what is the theme of the book? What's the theme of this book? Well, the theme of the book is Christ's preeminence, which means the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. And ladies, if there is a message that is needed in our day, it is that. We have the Lord and he's enough. He is sufficient. He is sufficient. We are in trouble. We are in trouble. It's time for the church to awaken out of her complacency and get back to Christ alone. Not Christ plus works, Christ plus knowledge, Christ plus psychology, Christ plus psychiatry, Christ plus dietary restrictions, Christ plus the 12-step program, Christ plus entertainment, Christ plus civil rights, Christ plus political rights. Ladies, it's none of that. It's with the master and nothing else. My prayer is as we begin this study that you and I will awaken to the danger our churches are facing today as well as the dangers that we might be facing in our personal lives. Have you and I become Gnostic in our thinking and in our living? Have we lost our distinctions? You know, when I was growing up, I remember my dad had a bumper sticker. You know what it said? Christ is the answer. But you know what? Churches aren't teaching that anymore. They're not teaching Christ is the answer. You know what they're teaching? Christ is a answer. But he's not the answer. He's not the only answer. It's Christ plus something else. And so, ladies, it is serious. This Colossians is very relevant for today and what the church of Jesus Christ is going through. Now, I promised you we're going to cover two verses, and we are. So let's look at them together, and I'll give you a little outline. Colossians 1, 2, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our outline tonight is very simple. The author and the audience. The author is in verse 1. The audience is in verse 2. So let's look at the author. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul begins with writing his name, and no, Paul is not a narcissistic. You know, that's our society that is narcissistic in his in our thinking. But in the biblical world, that's what they did. When they wrote a letter, they put their name first. What we do is we put our name last. But in the biblical world, they wanted to know, let you know who's writing them. And so he's just letting them know that he is writing this letter. So who is Paul? Well, we don't have to read very far, right? He's an apostle of, notice, Jesus Christ. And ladies, that's very important. You know, sometimes we read our Bibles and we go, oh, yeah, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. No, the opening of this letter is very significant. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who interestingly enough is the one the church was denying. No, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's not one of the 12 disciples. He was not one of the disciples, but he was an apostle. And one of the qualifications of an apostle was they had to see the risen Christ. They had to have seen the risen Christ. In fact, don't turn there, but 1 Corinthians 9, 1, Paul says this. Have I not seen, seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Am I not an apostle? 
Have I not seen Christ? Yes, he had. And then also 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, I delivered you that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again according to the scriptures. And then he says he was seen by the 12. He was seen by Cephas. He was seen by James. He was seen by 500. And then guess what? He was seen by me, the least of all the apostles. So two times he mentions the fact that he had seen the Lord. Now, there are some who will try to tell you today that they are an apostle. I've met them. And one of the things you should ask them is, have you seen the risen Christ? And some of them will tell you they have. I know. We had a lady one time come here. It was a couple of years ago. And she came in, and I said, hello, I'm Susan Heck, the pastor's wife. She said, well, hello, I'm apostle, whatever. And I said, oh, okay, nice to meet you. And... Um, so anyway, in fact, she even wrote a check out to the church, to the church, and in that left-hand corner was Apostle so-and-so. And so I remember uh, going to the ladies' restroom, and she and I had uh, some talks in there. And uh, it was quite interesting, and she uh, was Gnostic to the core, full of herself, and told me how she was going from church to church and blessing them with her presence. And uh, so I, I didn't have the nerve, but I should have said, have you seen the risen Christ? And uh, she probably would have told me she had, but I just, I don't know if any of other you've met her that day, but that was the most interesting. We do have interesting people come through those doors. But uh, anyway, she was Gnostic to the core. I mean, I remember it was just, I went away thinking, wow, this woman is that typical, I'm better than you, I know everything, I have a hotline to heaven, and you don't got it. Uh, so I'm like, okay. Now, the word apostle, since Paul's an apostle, it's apostelos, which means one sent with a message. And ladies, notice, if you look carefully at this verse, Paul says he is an apostle not by his will, but what? Will of God. Ladies, do you know God has a will and a purpose for your life? It's not just apostles. You know, we're all sinners saved by grace. There's nobody in here in this room that's better than anybody else. And if you think you are, then you're Gnostic in your thinking. See, I told you this is going to affect you. Do you know God has a will for your life? He's chosen you for a purpose and a will. And I hope you know why he's created you, and I hope you're fulfilling the purpose for which he has created you. Now, interesting. Again, we we rush through these verses, and we don't look carefully. Look what he says, by the will of God. Interesting. You might say, well, Susan, why is that interesting? The word here for God is theos, which is Elohim, which is the one and only true God. Not that lesser God that the Gnostics said created the world. But he says, I'm an apostle by the will of God, the one and only true God. And so, ladies, as he's, he's writing this introduction, I mean, he's... He's already right there, and believe me, because they could read and understand Greek. They knew exactly what Paul was saying. He's already kind of really admonishing in them just in the first verse. Paul, an apostle by Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Well, Paul mentions one more person in his opening statement, a person named Timothy, and he calls Timothy his brother. Uh, Timothy was with Paul at this time. Some believe that he was actually there in prison with Paul or just in the vicinity there with Paul. We don't know which is true. We do know Timothy was Paul's dear friend, his son in the faith. And if you remember anything about the book of Acts, he picked him up on his second missionary journey, had him circumcised. And uh, how would you like to start discipling like that? Okay, let's go for discipleship, but let's get circumcised first. And... Uh, And he spent a lot of time with Timothy. Uh, He trained him. He discipled him. He was his son in the faith. In fact, in Philippians, he says, Timothy is the only one who's like-minded. 
He's my only soulmate. Uh, he's the only one that understands. He doesn't seek his own. He was a humble guy. He served along with Paul in ministry. And I was thinking about this. What a comfort to Paul uh, to have Timothy there with him while he was in prison. And, you know, I was thinking, I hope I'm a Timothy to somebody, and uh, I'm thankful for those Timothys in my own life. In fact, it said that friendship multiplies our joys and divides our grief. And uh, how true that is, especially for the believer. Isn't it great to have Timothys in our life? Well, Paul calls Timothy in this verse his brother. The word for brother is Adelphos, which is just a Christian brother. So Paul is the author, but who's the audience? Well, look at verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's audience is, are the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Now, saints, it's very important that, again, we understand what he's saying, and that's why I want your, want your attention here. Saints is a term for holy ones, those that are set apart to God. Faithful means steadfast, unswerving in their faith. So, ladies, it's not by chance that Paul addresses the saints and faithful brethren because Paul is going to warn them, even though he believes they're saved, they're regenerated, that they are close to becoming apostate if they accept and believe and start living out Gnostic heresy. He's not writing to unbelievers who are caught up in this heresy. And ladies, we need to remember this. Remember what Jesus said? When the end starts coming, false Christ, false prophets are going to rise. In fact, they're going to increase. And if it's possible, they will deceive the very elect. Now, we know they can't deceive us, but Jesus says they're going to rise and they're going to try to deceive us. And so, ladies, there's a warning to all of us here. Get away from heresy Keep true to the word. I know people from time to time will send me links, say, could you listen to this lady? Tell me what you think about her. Could you listen to this? Tell me what you think about it. Could you read this article? Tell me what you think about it. And, you know, sometimes I can only just read a, I mean, sometimes I can't even stomach a minute or two, and I turn it off. I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to be even infiltrated by such nonsense. And so, ladies, we must be on the alert. Don't give false teachers an ear. Well, Paul then extends greetings of grace and peace. In fact, if you know anything about the Pauline epistles, they all begin, all 13 of his letters begin with grace and peace. And it's not by chance because ladies, grace and peace can only come from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to get it. Grace was the Greek reading, Greek greeting, which means God's unmerited favor. He, the peace was a Hebrew meaning which means a sense of well-being, which springs from the presence of God. And I think it's interesting here when I was looking at this that Paul uses both Greek and Hebrew greetings when greeting the church at Colossae. And you might say, well, why is that interesting? Remember what it was made up of? Primarily Gentiles, but there was some Jews. So he uses both greetings here, both Greek and Hebrew. And I think it's interesting because Paul says in another place, he says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. Uh, to this person, I became this person. Why? So that I can reach all, so that I can share the gospel. Now, ladies, Paul is not compromising 
but he's willing to defer for the gospel's sake. Um, it's also possible he uses the Hebrew greeting to reach those caught up in Judaism. And again, this is another good principle for us uh, that we need to keep in mind when dealing with people. We need to connect with our audience. I'm not saying, telling you to compromise, but we need to connect with those that we're trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like how my husband puts it. We need to be winsome uh, with them and so that we can connect. Now, how can you and I best reach those caught up in heresy? Well, Paul gives us a good example. He greets them warmly. He thanks God for them. He prays for them. He praises them before he tries to help them see the danger of the heresy they're in. And ladies, I think some of us miss out on great opportunities to help others who perhaps are caught up in erroneous teaching because many times we forget that we are to confront one another in a spirit of meekness. In fact, when the elders are confronting those that are in opposition, Paul tells them to do it with meekness. And so we certainly can uh, learn a lot from Paul. He set a very Christ-like tone before he gets ready to talk to them. Now, Paul mentions that this grace and peace is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, because God's grace would be needed by those at Colossae to help them turn from their error. And peace would be the result of what? And they get away from that Gnostic error, they will have what? The peace of God and turn back to Christ, the all-sufficient one. So we have the author of the book, Paul. We have the audience of the book, the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Now, in conclusion, before I let you out in your groups, I want to leave you with a challenge as we close, okay? I want to leave you with a challenge. Be faithful, faithful to do your lesson, faithful to come, faithful to have a heart ready to learn. Ask the Lord on your way here every Tuesday night, Lord, open my heart to behold wondrous things out of your word. Help me uh, to learn all that you have for me. Um, and I promise if you do that, you'll come away with a deeper understanding of the epistle to the Colossians. It's going to be quite a journey as we travel through this epistle. And if you're like me, before I take a journey, I want to know, what am I going to see? You know, what am I going to do? You know, I like that type A personality. I'm not like my husband. Let's just, let's just get in the car and go somewhere. Well, what are we going to see? What are we going to do? And so I want to take you quickly on a sneak preview um, in chapter 1, we're going to consider Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae, which is one of the most beautiful prayers in all of the uh, New Testament. It's Rita Baker's favorite prayer. And um, I trust that as we look at that, it will deepen your prayer life. We're also going to consider the blessings of having our sins forgiven, the deity of Christ, his redemptive work on the cross. We're also going to look at Paul's labor and the ministry. It's unbelievable. He, he says he wants to fill up that which is lacking. I mean, he wants to suffer in the same vein that Christ suffered. I mean, can you imagine saying that? It's like Paul saying he wants to go to hell so that his Jewish brother, brothers would be able to go to heaven. And so we're going to see this amazing man who was just sold out in ministry. In chapter 2, we're going to really get into the warnings here of philosophy, legalism, angel worship, astrology, mysticism, visions, revelations, uh, all this touch not, taste not, rigid asceticism. And he's going to lay a really good foundation in chapter 1 and 2. And uh, if you know anything about the Pauline epistles, what he does in all of his works, he starts out half the book is doctrinal foundation. The second part is practical. You might say, well, Susan, could you just skip you know, those two chapters of doctrine stuff. Can't we just get into chapter three and four? No, we can't. You know, I don't know why. Because ladies, do you know whatever you believe right now sitting in that chair tonight? 
Whatever doctrine you believe right now, do you know when you get out of bed in the morning, tomorrow morning, that's how you're going to behave tomorrow. Whatever you believe right now about God, about Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about the Word of God, whatever you believe right now dictates how you behave. And so it's very important that we understand doctrine because that dictates how we then live our life. But if you really want to know the practical part, chapter 3, we're going to get into some great principles there, not setting our affection on things above. We're going to get into the put-off, put-off, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of our mouth, don't lie to each other. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Word of God. And, you know, if we take all that stuff off, we got to put on something, right? If you're going to take off filthy, dirty clothes, uh, you got to put on something, right? And in fact, when my son used to do roofing and uh, he'd come in all dirty and tarry, I'd say, Charles, take those clothes off, you know, go put something else on. So if we're going to take all those dirty, stinky sins off, we got to put something on, right? And so we're going to see we need to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, patience, and all those virtues. And Paul's trying to get to them. It's not legalism. It's the inward issue of your heart. And so he will hammer that in chapter 3. Also in chapter 3, we're going to talk about the wife's relationship to the husband, the husband to the wife, the children to the parents, the parent to the children. Uh, we're also going to be looking at master-slave or employee-employee relationship. Very important because, ladies, if you've got Gnostic thinking in your marriage or in your parenting, you're in big trouble. So uh, we're going to look at that also. Then when finally in chapter 4, we're going to deal briefly again with prayer. We're going to look at how we're to evangelize the lost. How do we win the lost? Paul says, let our walk be with wisdom and our words be seasoned with salt uh, so that we know how to give an answer to those that ask us, you know, hey, I know you're a Christian, but, you know, tell me about it. So he's going to talk about that a little bit. And then as we end... It's going to be really great. I was finishing this up yesterday. First time I've ever taught a ladies' Bible study that had all my lessons done before we started. I don't know how that happened, except it must going to be a really busy year for me, but the grace of God. But I was looking at these eight men that Paul closes his letter with, and these guys are something else. And to have eight friends like this in ministry, and so we're going to look at Christian friendship. What You know, I have a friend that says, Susan, pick your friends wisely. And ladies, that is so true. Pick your friends wisely. And so we're going to end with looking at these eight precious men that were in ministry with Paul. Well, ladies, it's going to be a great journey. I'm looking forward to traveling this journey with you, my traveling companions, and most of all with our great guide, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our master, my friend, and we do need nothing else. So let's pray, and then I'll let you go to your groups. Father in heaven, thank you so much for um, tonight. Thank you for these ladies. Thank you for the new ones you've brought into our midst. And Lord, as the ladies now go to their groups, I pray that the relationships will gel, that the uh, time of sharing would be sweet, and Lord, that we could just build some really long-lasting friendships this year. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for the epistle to the Colossians. And thank you for Christ. He is enough. And I pray the ladies will understand that this year in Christ's name.